on this episode of the Alt Normal. Normal. The consciousness spiritual world is very white, and that's not a representation of the world. It's it's very white in terms of color, but it's also very uh, in terms of experience. You know, it's mostly people who have an interest for these topics. I don't like anything that's homogenous because I think it robs from the richness of life and then we start creating ghettos, ghettos in our heads, ghettos in our experiences, just because we don't know the other. Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. Joe Biden will become president of the United States doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future at the intersection of self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times, powerful moments of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The Alt-Normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real. We are in a crisis of consciousness, realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies in marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift and how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Chenggu that enable people to live and work from paradise. 
encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. Without further ado, I would love to introduce our guest today, Swati Martin. So Swati is one of Africa's most recognized young leaders, influencers, and tastemakers. She is a serial entrepreneur, published author, certified yoga and mindfulness teacher, and she was also formerly a corporate executive at GE. Yeah, she spent 10 years there doing lots of amazing things that I would love to talk to you more about today. And then in 2012, she followed her entrepreneurial, I guess, dream and created one of Africa's most admired brands, Yaswara. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, A socially conscious gourmet tea company contributing to the reversal of the African commodity trap and promoting Africa's rich culture. So Swati's also a consciousness activist, which led her to create this global consciousness summit called Tunche in 2018, which is aimed at raising our collective consciousness to co-create a more compassionate world. 2,000 people have um, been transformed by attending this event all over the world. And she also has authored several educational and mindfulness books for children and created the Loving Kindness BOMA, which is a platform providing resources to help cultivate a culture of love, kindness, compassion, understanding, mindfulness, introspection um, for the family, but also for children, the future. Um, So yeah, Swati's been all over the world, featured on Forbes, CNN, BBC, um, Monocle, Al Jazeera. So we're just super excited to have you here. Thank you so much, Swati. So I would like to start off with a question about the essence of you. You identify as a serial and consciousness entrepreneur or conscious entrepreneur, and you've done so many things, creating a tea brand, creating a summit. You do a racial reconciliation circle as well, um, children's books. So of all these things, can we start by exploring what is this common denominator or essence that really weaves through all of your deeply personal pursuits? Well, thank you so much for the kind introduction and for having me here. Um, Yeah, I'm very happy to be part of these conversations in this beautiful Mm -hmm. and meaningful place as well. So it's it's just very um, relevant to have these conversations in a place that's really pushing forward a new earth. So Mm -hmm. thank you. I don't... uh, you know, I don't think I identify with any of these things to start. You know, I think uh, these things are just things that I do. They're not my identity. Uh, and there's no, um, you know, there's there's no kind of, of mind process into this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. I'm very heart-driven. And um, I think it's a combination of being heart-driven and thinking that, um you know, everything that I want to do is possible uh, if it's done with love and compassion. And and um, I would say if I try to do the best um, wherever I'm at, 
So, so I wouldn't say that there is a common thread. I actually never think about it this way. I just think about what is it that my heart uh, wants to do at a certain point? What, what is my calling? Uh, and then it's just pursuing those callings. And so they can be very diverse because I think as individuals, we're so diverse. You know, it's we're like a constant flux and constant change and, um, you know, kind of this kaleidoscope of things. And so that's really what drives me. Uh, just following my heart yeah Mm, it's beautiful to yeah just see people who have done so many things like you really lead from the heart because yeah we are humans that are that have hearts and if we can listen more to that intelligence we can open more doors so I would love to go back in time yeah and I saw this quote on your website and I want to read it and then kind of explore it So you write, I was born in a family of change makers. My parents nurtured a strong sense of consciousness Mm -hmm. and responsibility to make the world a better place, starting from within. Mm -hmm. And from my understanding, your father was also a Black Panther party leader Mm -hmm. of Brooklyn, which is awesome. That's where I've spent some years living. (laughs) And... I'd love to explore your upbringing um, and really understand what it was like to grow up as the daughter of such a visionary and such a leader and such an activist um, in such a turbulent time. Yeah, can you take us through that a little bit? Well, I mean, for sure, the upbringing is uncommon, um, to say the least. Um, And I guess I can speak about it openly now because my father... Uh, passed away about six years ago, but um, my father was, um, you know, basically left the U.S. as a fugitive. You know, it was very different times uh, when the Black Panther Party was really considered um, enemy to to the state, and so most of the leaders had to leave, um, you know, not to spend. Uh, time in prison and maybe lifetime in prison or be shot or whatever it was the case in those times. So um, I think that kind of upbringing brings two things is that for most of my life until six years ago, um, you know, I couldn't really talk about, uh, you know, my, my, you know, when people ask me where I'm from and my story always very vague. (laughs) And so, so there is this sense of, um, you know, for a child, I think, you know, what my father was doing, you know, I have a lot of admiration for him and for all the people who uh, sacrificed their lives for, for, you know, that cause in particular, but also for other causes. And I think what it creates at a very young age is really a questioning of why is it that someone who was actually doing good is considered an enemy of the state? And I think that um, made me question structure and question the environment constantly, you know, never taking anything for granted and never trying to fit in or to, um, you know, I I never had this sense of I need to belong to anything or I need to follow the rules or uh, whatever uh, is considered uh, authority is actually uh, necessarily right. So I think uh, having that kind of a bringing gives a lot of freedom, a freedom to think, uh, because obviously for 
my father to break from the system, you know, a lot of thinking had to go in and a lot of questioning. And obviously, you know, the, the Black Panther Party was uh, a movement with a lot of intellectuals and people who had really thought through, you know, justice, social justice, uh, structures, um, the organization of state. And so growing up with that is, is I find a privilege to, in a way for me, be born free. Uh, and at the same time, you know, my, my, these, these times and, and, you know, I owe it also, you know, I would say mostly to my mother because my mother is the nurturer, um, is, is that time of questioning, you know, the May 68, uh, the, you know, Woodstock and all these movements, you know, is really also a little bit of what we're, we're experiencing right now. There was just a shift in the collective consciousness and my parents were really at the, you know, in the midst of that and participated fully into that. So I was born with this. So I feel very privileged. Parents who already were like, wait on a minute, you know, what, what is this? You know, is this, can, you know, is this where we at and can't we do better than that? And so, so yeah, so I would say uh, I was born and raised um, with that, with a free mind. Mm. Yeah. And that has really served me. And still serves me. So much spaciousness when you grow up with, yeah, role models that ask questions. And not only ask questions, because I think it's both. It's ask questions, but also have had the courage to stand for their belief. And even if that was at the cost of their own lives. And I think for me, in addition to uh, freedom, I, I got to experience fearlessness. Uh, so, you know, my, my, my parents are not fearful people. They're kind of, okay, you know, if, if we believe in anything, like we will, um, stand for that, even if we have to sacrifice our life. And that's, that's been my upbringing. And I'm very much like that. You know, if I believe in something, I have no, you know, I'm not attached to anything. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not seeking comfort, security or so, because that security comes from within, which is also what I was raised to build, to build, um, you know, security from within and not security from material things, from people, from society, from community, from whatever. It's just like you have to find your own centering. Mm. And in that way as well, you know, my, my parents also, you know, raised me and my brother to have our own identity that was their own story individually. My mom had her own story. My father his own story. And, you know, they gave us the freedom to find our own stories. You know, there was no replica of you have to follow my footsteps or you have to be this or you have to be that. Very early on, it was like, what are you going to do with your life? You know, and, and that's been also, you know, their position is we, we've had our own life each individually and theirs is also very different. My father is very different from my mother. And they're like, you know, what are you going to do? So think about it. What is your life? Mm. And so that's very empowering. Wow. That's really um, a model of parenting that really resonates with me. And I'm, yeah, very inspired that you had that experience. Yeah. And when you said just now, you know, your parents encouraged you to really discover what it is that, that drives your passion. Um, I think I saw an interview where you said that since the age of six, you wanted to be a businesswoman, even if you didn't know fully what that meant. 
And that's a very young age to really say, yes, I want to be a businesswoman one day. And then later on in life, you manifested that by, yeah, landing a job, a very high-level job in in General Electric and, and, yeah, creating all types of programming, um, expanding into Africa in different ways. And maybe you can talk to us a little bit about that, but also then you left at a certain point, right? And why did you leave? Well, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, I'm not attached to anything really, you know, I mean, as, as I shared earlier, all these things are not my identity. So being here one day, being there, doing this job, another job, you know, I call it a decor. For me, all of that is just a decor. Really, what is real is who I, I am, you know, in that moment, because even myself is a flux, a changing flux. So uh, I never had any attachment to any job, any uh, title, any award, any, any, none of these things, you know, I mean, what drives me again is my heart is, am I having fun? Is it, uh, in support of my personal growth? Is it in support of my spiritual growth? Am I contributing to making the world a better place in that moment? You know, whatever it is where I'm at. Um, and you know, really, am I given the opportunity to expand within? So I think that's been really what's been driving me. Why I six years old, I wanted to be a businesswoman and why this world word resonated. Um, I think, you know, I, I always had a, my father, my father used to say that uh, I was born purposeful. It's like, I've never seen the a toddler like this, like you were so purposeful, like you would like just take ice and just crush it in your mouth, like just as a toddler. And I was like always very intent wherever I was going, you know, even as a little, you know, with my little legs going. And so, you know, I don't know where these things come from. You know, I guess different souls come for different purposes. And it seems that uh, my soul just wanted to, to, you know, came with like something to do. And so I guess being the idea of being a business leader, um, you know, as a young child was very clear. I never liked, uh, I never liked to be managed. I think, you know, my parents can definitely testify of that. You know, I, I don't, you know, I'm not someone, um, who likes authority. And as a matter of fact, it comes from my parents because both of them, you know, are like, you know, highly independent people and free thinkers. So um, it was very clear for me that, uh, and I guess, I don't know why, even as a, at a young age, that I needed to be my own and, and be in the driver's seat of my life and my destiny. And in the context of having a job, that meant having that freedom and working towards that freedom. And so I, I guess that's what drove me. And then, you know, why I left General Electric, um, first of all, you know, I, I absolutely loved every second. I had so much fun. And I used to say if I was uh, at a time ever to go back in those days to obviously the world has changed to corporate, I would, you know, I would have gone back to G. I just loved it. I loved my colleagues. I loved my job. Um, I loved the experiences. I mean, I just loved every minute of it and then you know when it was time to move on to something else and I was also ready for something else and uh, whatever I did after I loved it and I still love what I do I'm hard driven so (laughs) it makes like you know it makes life easy in a way because you're kind of I always I never feel I work a day in my life because I'm kind of always doing what I what I love and if I don't love it then I don't do it and that's as simple as that 
you know you own your own destiny yeah it's um yeah i think you're one of the very few people who have said yeah i loved every minute of it in corporate even yeah. in that space you know and that's that's amazing that's very yeah. inspiring to see someone truly thriving in that space yeah. as well yeah because i mean i think you know i'm not one to see the world as black and white you know um and and being here in bali where there is definitely this concept of harmony of the yin and yang you know everything is uh and and you know i think it's a it's a combination of of balance and of seeing things as a continuum and also everyone is me you know so being in corporate with my colleagues they're another me you know and uh, they're beautiful people beautiful experiences wherever you are uh, and um and and in that sense for me life is always happening for me you know life is not happening to me wherever i am uh if i don't want to be there i'm just not there and if i want to be there i'm there and when i wanted to leave ge um, I had so much fun, and I remember one of my um, one of my leaders was was like, "Sweetie, why would you leave? You know, all is this happening?" And it was just like, "Yeah, you know, it's not not anymore where I want to be." And they were like, "Oh, but you know, this is what you could do career wise." And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, you know, that's not what drives me. So you know, I'm not driven by the next job and the next job. I just literally loved everything I was doing. I was not doing it because I wanted the next promotion. I was just doing it because I just loved it. I love the people. I love everything. And then yeah, and then I moved on to something else that I loved. Well, that's the perfect segue because. In 2017, was it you created Yuzwara? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, 2013, end of 2012, 2013. So it's like seven years ago. Wow. So Yuzwara has a whole story behind it. And I had a little look on the site and I was just kind of drawn into these stories and to these African words and aspects of African culture and ancestral wisdom that I really had never heard about. And I think that's why this brand is so powerful and impactful because you're really bringing storytelling um, that's often not told into a product that's also been sourced and created socially and consciously minded. So you call yourself an Africa lover. And I would just love to hear more about what do you love about Africa? (laughs) What do you love about African culture? Well, I mean, I think it's more than an Africa lover. I always say that if you were to scan my heart, you would see it as the shape of Africa. So my heart has the shape of Africa. And so I'm a passionate uh, Africa lover. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm African. Um, you know, this is my roots. This is where, I mean, I'm many things, uh, nationality-wise and origins, but, you know, one of my origins is Africa. And this is where I've lived most of my life. This is where I still live. Um, I've Yeah, I've been living in Africa since I was born. You know, I, I did some hints here and there. I spent some time in other places, like I spent time in Bali, but my home is, is Africa. Yeah, it's for me, it's the most beautiful continent on the planet. It's the most amazing people. Um, yeah, I love everything about Africa. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's, it's like in my DNA, (laughs) 
you know, it's like your soul song. Uh, I think my the song of my soul and the soul of Africa just like um, are just in tune. I, you know, it's a feeling. Mm. What part of Africa are you originally from? So of West Africa, Ivory Coast and Guinea. Yeah, my mother. Wow. And you have family there as well? Yeah, yeah. And I live, uh, I mean, I've been living now in South Africa for 10 years, but I've lived in, uh, when I was born, I lived in Liberia. Then I moved to Senegal, to Ivory Coast. I lived in Kenya. I lived in Nigeria. And for the past 10 years, I've been living in South Africa. And I love South Africa. I mean, there's not one African country I don't love. I mean, I love North Africa, East, Central, West, South, <laughs> Islands, all of it. Each time I discover a new African country, I'm like, yeah, that's the best continent on the planet. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would like to make it there one of these yeah. days. It is so diverse. It's diverse. Um yeah, the kindness of the people, the spirituality. Um, I find it a little bit like here, you know, it's a, a, a spirituality is very much part of, of everyday life. Um, you know, the resilience, I think the optimism of people. And I think the groundedness, I find, uh, you know, whenever I go to Western countries, I think there's there's just like a, you know, there's just an excess of everything. And I just love the groundedness of Africa, you know, just being there and being with, with people and just, you know, the simplicity of life, actually. I just find the Western world has just become so complicated and so, in a way, sometimes I find it soulless. And uh, I really love the soul of Africa. Mm. Anyway, I can speak about Africa for hours. <laughs> we can do a whole other conversation about Africa. We'll just have to come and visit. I'll, maybe we'll just do that instead. Yeah. Um, so you've taken this real love of Africa and channeled it into Yazwara. Um, and you mentioned you transformed, you know, the African commodity, the local African commodity into this high luxury brand and really put it on the map. Uh, and I would love to hear just in terms of impact, you know, when you created Yazwara and even now, seven years later, right? Um, what impact do you feel Yazwara has had on communities um, and plantations that you've sourced from and that you work with and you kind of consider to be in the family of your business? Yeah. I mean, actually, it's the first time I'm being asked this question. Interestingly, I'm always asked the same questions, you know, about Iswara, but this one, uh, no one has ever asked me what I feel I have contributed so far. I would say that um, the biggest thing is inspiration, because I always see um, myself as, um, not see myself, but I, I, you know, I've had many privilege. I was born privilege in the context of, of Africa and, and with that comes responsibility. Um, you know, I never felt that I deserve Nestle. I, I didn't feel that I didn't deserve it, but I didn't also feel that I deserved it. So it was just like, I came into this context and um, in this context, in this lifetime, uh, I am privileged and I'm in an environment where a lot of people are not privileged. And so that comes with a responsibility. So what is it that I'm doing to be my brother's keeper? For me, being part of, of, of I guess, my gifts, 
the things that move my heart, you know, where those two meet is how do I inspire? Uh, because I find that inspiration is really what will drive people to make the change for themselves. You know, I'm not one to um, imagine solutions for others because I have the utmost respect for everyone's soul, soul journey and soul's intelligence. So uh, I never think I have the solution because I'm not in others people's head or heart or soul. Um, for me, these are beautiful mysteries and secrets that are just happening at a very individual level. But what I can do is I can try to uh, break doors where there are doors for others to be able to walk without having to have to break those doors. I can, and those doors can be can be structures, but can be also just the doors that we put in our hearts and in our heads, thinking that maybe this is not possible. And, uh, and so that's, that's what I would say probably my biggest contribution is and has been is just to inspire other people and um, let them know it is possible, but also to create a path so it is not so difficult for the next person after me. And I think for me, that's what, my, uh, what, what gives me the most uh, fulfillment is not so much for me to be able to um, for example, being the first African gourmet brand to be at Selfridges or Harrods, um, you know, th that's not really what excites me. What excites me more is that, okay, I've done it, but it means that when the next brand, the next African gourmet brand is coming, then it will be easier for them. And that's what I like to do. Uh, I just like opening doors, creating path and inspiring. And I feel, you know, I've done that with Iswara. I've done that with everything that I've been doing and I still continue to do because that's, you know, I'm my brother's keeper. Beautiful. I, I want to just take the question even deeper mm -hmm. and maybe because I, I think I watched something where you, you're the one making the blends and you actually go and you visit the people working on the plantations. You really have a human heart led, I guess, approach to really seeing every person. Um, so is there a specific moment or memory that you can recall of, I don't know, working with someone or meeting someone in the fields or just having this, ah, this human connection of, wow, you know, because I've created this this business and I'm opening doors, I can now have a connection and really see into a world that maybe beforehand I couldn't see. And now I get to show the world that as well. Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm just not, I'm not really attached to the things that I do. You know, I mean, I see myself just as a channel. Um, so, you know, wh wh what I, what I do is just you know, channeling things that are happening. So I take no credit, you know, it's not like, oh, wow, Swati, you did that. So, you know, I, I'm just open to whatever wants to come through me and then, uh, then it happens. Uh, so that's one, meaning that I never really think, oh, because I did that, this happens. Um, you know, I'm just like, okay, I'm grateful to be the channel. You know, I raise my hand, this needs to happen. My soul is like, yeah, I'll do it. And then I do it. And so I'm really being of service in that sense. So I take no credit for this thing. So, so that's, that's one. And then the second thing is that, you know, especially as I grow older, you know, I don't have this really high and lows, like, oh, what is your ah moment? Or what is the most exciting? Da, 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 or, you know, because 
moments, whether they're, you know, hardships or beautiful things, they're just moments and experiences. So I see them all as just an experience, you know, so there's no like uber excitement or something. Yes, I can be excited, but it's not a memory that I keep as, oh, wow, that was the most amazing moment of my life, you know, because the hardship also was the most amazing moments of my life because I also grew in that. Um, So... I'm, I'm just, you know, generally I'm a very present person. I mean, it comes with some challenges <laughs> being really here. So I'm not like, so one, I'm, I'm very much here and I'm not one that's constantly thinking about the past or the future, like wherever I'm at, I'm at. So actually I may forget what happened yesterday or, you know, so I'm not like living into my memories. So it's always super challenging if, you know, someone asks me, you know, remember this or remember that because uh, it's not necessarily things that I keep in my mind. Uh, And human connections, I have them everywhere all the time, right now, you know, wherever we are. So it's as important. Uh, I don't see people differently, whether they're a farmer or a president or, um, you know, uh, a host, you know, everyone is a person and, um, you know, it's just a big beautiful play and we play different roles in that play at that moment and we just enjoy the play yeah that's it's not very their, refreshing yeah it's not their identity even these farmers i mean the farmers it's not their identity you know i think there's this the world likes to create stories out of everything like oh the poor african farmer you know and so immediately as soon as you say that you know you have an image of what that represents um, or, you know, the CEO and, you know, the mogul and, you know, we've created all these characters that, and we give them reality or identity. For me, they're just characters, you know, it's like a costume that you put your, your soul, just put that costume for that, for that scene, but that's not who they are. You know, the souls are all the same, really, kind of. We walk around with masks. Yeah, just from our conditions, you know, to get to these real human moments where you're just here and the past and the future kind of sit where they sit. Yeah. It's a beautiful space to be in. So it's mm-hmm. it's really inspiring to hear that you've really practiced yeah. building that muscle almost of, yeah. of living in that way. But, you know, I mean, those masks are also the play. You know, again, you know, saying that when people are wearing masks, they're not here. It's not an authentic experience. It is an authentic experience because the authentic experience is in that moment. You are showing a different part of you, which may not be, I don't know what is the authentic you. The authentic you is everything. The authentic you is also you with a mask. It is a part of you. The part of you that wants to wear a mask is you. It's not a different you. And so I find that sometimes we use this language to label like, things and, and people were like, oh, you know, we're not having an authentic conversation. Well, we, we don't need to label things. It's just like, it's just a conversation. And whatever that conversation is in that moment, it is what it is. It is not good. It is not bad. It is not authentic, inauthentic. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's really the experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's being present with whatever is, even if it's the mask. Yes. Yes. So just, um, one last, I guess, um, moment of curiosity about the serial entrepreneur that you are, 
heart-led serial entrepreneur. Um, I recently read in Harvard Business Review that we are in an age of um, corporate social justice. And I don't know why, but that really caught my attention and made me feel all sorts of conflicting things. Um, Because on the one hand, it's like, we are in an age where we are in a crisis. And I think businesses are really... They really need to stand for something and really walk the walk because people, right, consumers, we're all becoming more aware of our agency in the world and aligning with people, organizations, governments that are aligned with similar values. And so given that phrase, I would just love to hear your thoughts about what role, I guess, you feel businesses, projects, nonprofits um, should play in terms of thinking about impact and social justice and really treating everyone more humanly in a more human, humane way. Well, I mean, I've always had a resistance for anything that is a group. I've never liked groups. I've never liked being parts of groups of, you know, I'm, I'm uh, very resistant to group thinking. Um, and that from ever, like since I was a child, I've never liked group thinking because I felt earlier on that group thinking just robbed, uh, robs the individual experience and also the nuance of each individual. So why I'm sharing that is, uh, my, the way my, uh, at this moment, the way my thinking is, and I guess it's it's been a you know over the past forty three years is just a result of of being more and more into that thinking. You know, I don't I don't group things as these are corporate, these are social society, these are this, these are that. Because in creating these groups, first of all, we try to simplify a very complex uh, tapestry of beings, of experiences, of um, of 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 thinking into now simplifying into one homogeneous concept when it's actually not and i find that this uber simplification of the world actually is 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 for me is dangerous um anything that tries to group things for me you know i find i find is dangerous in a way and so um i don't you know, society is, is the sum of individuals. So I'm not so concerned about what corporations need to do, what governments need to do, what because I mean, governments are, you know, societies, we're the corporations, we're the society, we're the government. So what are we doing? You know, we're fully responsible for our own being, for our own experiences and our own life. And so if we were to start taking responsibility for that, before being concerned with everything else, we would see a very different world. Things are not happening outside of ourselves. They are happening inside of ourselves. And then the outside is just a projection of that. And so I'm not so concerned that company X, Y, and Z need to do something. I'm more concerned about the people within company X, Y, and Z. What are they doing? Are they being free? Are they being empowered? Are they thinking for themselves? Are they doing the inner work that is necessary? Are they walking the talk? Are they being their brother's keepers? Are we being loving? Are we being compassionate? Are we being caring? 
you know, before I ask the corporation to be caring, am I caring? I'm not one to judge. The only thing that I can do is I am care. Am I caring? Am I, um, am I doing the best that I can to uh, love the environment, to love the other, to, you know, that I can do. And so um, these are the concepts that I believe in. The rest for me is just noise and it's just distraction. It's us being distracted instead of looking within ourselves and knowing that we actually have the power to create the life we want to live and the world we want to live in. I hear you. It's some reclaiming that agency and saying, hey, first of all, am I being those values that I'm asking of others or of bodies of people, collectives? And I think that's a very important tool and practice to come back to yourself. And also we have to remember like we're all, it's all mirrors. So whatever I'm seeing, even in that corporation, in that CEO, in that society is inside myself. So, you know, if, if there is something that's happening on the outside, you know, the first thing, instead of like, why are they doing this? These people are evil. They're this, they're that. And going into judgment mode is like, okay, you know, how am I contributing to that energy? What is it, what is it inside myself that is contributing to that energy? It may not be, you know, and I think it's very important to look at the energy and not just the manifestation, because let's say if we are complaining about the greed in the corporate world, well, you know, so it doesn't mean that my greed is manifesting in the same way, meaning like maybe the pursuit of more money, for example. But my greed may be in, a, in, in also a different way. It can also be a spiritual greed. You know, am I like consuming spirituality, you know, in an excessive, greedy way? Consuming. So I think we also, you know, it's kind of really taking the time to dig deep into the energy that it is because the energy may manifest differently, but it's that same energy. And, and the fact that I'm actually part of that play, part of that collective and I'm being triggered by it is that, you know, that trigger is also in me. And so let's, let me work on that. A very self-reflective process and trying to see, yeah, those triggers and challenges as mirrors to ourselves. And it comes from the belief that, you know, it's come again from, you know, to kind of circle back to uh, what I was sharing in the beginning, it comes to freedom. You know, I, I, was born believing that uh, I can create my own life. And so with that, I'm fully empowered. You know, there is no one that can impose anything on me or create a reality I don't want to be in. I don't, you know, I have no such belief. Whatever is happening in the world, people get, you know, panicked, scared, whatever. You know, the world is the world. And if it disappears, so what? There are civilizations that have disappeared before. I mean, we're not so unique or different. You know, I'm also not attached to life. You know, I have no fear of death. So, you know, that's also very free. You know, it's not such a traumatic thing that, um, you know, one should die or the world should disappear. Then, well, another world will come, you know, like some civilizations have fully disappeared. That's history. That's cyclical. So why not us? Maybe. And... 
<laughs> it's not such a big deal. I mean, I don't find, I don't take life too seriously, really. I mean, like, it's not such a big deal. You do the best you can while you're in the, the play. You know, you've been giving a role as like an actor. You've been giving your role, so you have to do the best you can. But are you attached to the movie? It's just a movie, you know? So once you're done with the movie, well, you just take off your costume and you're out. I need more spotty <laughs> medicine every day to help me remind myself that, right, don't need to take everything so seriously. And lightness is baked into every moment if you choose to see that and access it. And you always have it. So segueing into Tunche, um, yeah, I'm really excited about this topic um, for reasons that I can't even articulate, but... I would just love to start out with what inspired you to create the space and if I can also add within the framework of maybe what did you see was almost missing in the world of consciousness and healing that Tunche needed to be birthed yeah. into being. One word, diversity. Diversity. The consciousness spiritual world is very white, um, and that's not a representation of the world. It's it's very white uh, in terms of color, but it's also very uh, in terms of experience. You know, it's mostly people who have an interest for these topics, and so what you find is, um, you know, again, it comes from from my own, um, you know reluctance to groups. I don't like anything that's homogenous because I think it robs from the richness of life. And then we start creating ghettos, ghettos in our heads, ghettos in our experiences. And then we start creating separation and we're thinking, okay, we're better than the others. And just because we don't know the other. And so Tunche, the, 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 the DNA, the essence, the the founding pillar of Tunche is diversity and it's diversity of origins. It's diversity of social background because also the spiritual world uh, is mostly made of, of uh, you know, privileged people. And so the Tunche events, we, we sponsor at least 40% of the attendance. Um, generally our events are either free or very low cost to allow uh, maximum participation. Um, it's also diverse in terms of the backgrounds of people. So uh, the speakers, where you know, you'll never see like a full, um, a full panel of everyone spiritual. So we'll bring uh, the CEO, the shaman, um, you know, the the youth, the you know. So we just bring also different people, and because everyone can learn from another, we create also a safe space where people are receptive to the other. And I'm not seeing the sea of corporate as this evil doer because I'm so spiritual, you know. It's like, and the 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 COC, the spiritual person, as this woo woo person who doesn't understand the world, is that if you create a platform where people can learn from each other and have conversation with respecting, you know, that everyone is here to bring something, you start changing things. You also bring elder and, and older. So we also have intergenerational uh, diversity because we find this, this, you know, consciousness events are made for people, let's say between 25 and, and 45, sometimes a little bit more, but 
but you know some of them not really you know it's just kind of a very niche and so how do you create platforms where you bring people of different uh, cultures different social backgrounds different professional backgrounds different age and just start having conversations that um you know, start representing some or more diversity of the world. And also you, you start creating platforms where people don't think that I have the answer and the other one doesn't have the answer. It's just different perspective and all perspectives are valid and all dreams are valid. Thank you for pointing out the diversity piece. Um, it's a much deeper conversation, but I, I think that's why I was really drawn to it. Um, as a person of color myself, yeah. I do find that these spaces of consciousness and spirituality teach me so much and I'm so grateful for them. But oftentimes I feel very different yeah. in the room and it makes me uncomfortable, but I feel bad for expressing that. Yeah. So I just suppress it and I just move on and yeah. try to just drop into the oneness. Yeah. And at the same time, there's more to explore yeah. within the oneness yeah. space. And I mean, and the one thing also I want to point out to your point is that, uh, and this is a conversation I often have, you know, because we've been, we've created a, uh, right now we live in a world that culturally is very dominated by white culture. Uh, you know, generally uh, white people feel that, and you know, I don't like the kind of color, but let's say that the white experience is the experience of the world, but the majority of the world is non-Western and non-white. And so uh, in these spiritual spaces, what I find interesting as well, and this is why it was important to bring the diversity, is that the Western world has taken away from, has taken spirituality away from the experience. And I think now there is a revival to that. Whereas in non-Western culture, spirituality has always been there. It's never left. And so it's not that people are rediscovering because this is just everyday life. You know, um, recently I was having conversation with someone who was telling me about, you know, what people called conspiracy theories. You know, I call them seekers of alternate truth because I think it's also a label, you know, that I think is very uh, reducing for, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, but, you know, I and I was sharing, like people were talking about, Kabbalistic rituals and satanic rituals and this and that. And, you know, I mean, we're here in Bali, like it's happening everywhere. In Africa is the same. In South America is the same. I mean, most places in Asia, it's the same. I mean, there's nothing that is unusual. I think it is unusual for Western culture who has basically like went, went from a kind of religion to very dogmatic um, you know, structures, religious structures that were used really for power purpose to basically going the other way and putting spirituality out. All the while that was, you know, kind of that was the own work of the Western culture. Uh, other cultures experience things very differently. And so some of those things that may come as a surprise or fear or so, you know, in most non-Western culture, they're just like, you know, a usual day like i mean literally in in you know probably in this compound even where we are uh people yeah actually not probably we see it even on on all this um these shrines where you have the the checkers fabric you know it's the the light and the dark um and and people find 
balance and harmony in that. And I think the Western world, in a way, has created one to see this kind of very uh, good and evil and, you know, kind of, of view of the world and, and then all the nuance and simplifying as well, because it makes it easier to organize the world if you simplify it in a way. But, you know, there's just a lot more diversity. So I'm sharing that because, again, if you start bringing real diversity to consciousness and spiritual places, you know, I think the, the, there's not like a thinking that there is one experience or one consciousness that everyone now, you know, we're kind of the light workers of consciousness and we need to change the world. I mean, everyone, everyone is a light worker, everyone, like everyone on this planet, wherever they are, it just manifests differently. And the experiences are different. And I think we need to start embracing the diversity, recognize it and, and, and stop thinking that one is more enlightened than the other, because all of a sudden, you know, maybe you've discovered a path that was not part of your experience before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that for me also, you know, is part of that, of just bringing, you know, kind of, of, uh, yeah, diversity into those places, you know, to your point and for everyone to feel seen and heard and respected and valued, uh, and not feeling, you know, what you 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 feel is like, okay, this is not my experience, but you know, how do I express it? Exactly. I mean, it's no surprise, right? You look around a room and you see different faces, different shapes, different age groups, and um, I think just having the language to then bring it out yes. is what yeah. I feel is where we're headed. And so to come back to Tunche, I just want to center us on 2020 and, you know, what happened to the world in the wake of the George Floyd murdering, um, which exploded this conversation around all these topics, racial injustice, white supremacy, institutionalized racism, which aren't new concepts at all. They've been around for hundreds. Oh, I, hundreds. Was, I was born into it. <laughs> That's what my father fought for. I mean, so yeah, it's it's and you know, living in Africa, this is also what I you know, this is an experience of hundreds of years for sure. And it's you you lived it, right? And so many people around the world have lived that, but only since this explosion, since his murder, have I think people been more primed to really listen to really be more open to okay this isn't going away it's it's time that we all start to learn in our own way and whether or not you're protesting out in the street or reading a book or trying to reckon with these own living uh, topics within your own experience can we all really walk forward in a more humane way and so given this context that we all know very well, um, I would love to hear how Tunche evolved or, yeah, addressed this, um, this context within the summit. Well, I mean, again, our, you know, Tunche, you know, is now three years old. So diversity was at the center of it. And diversity is something that has always been important to me. I mean, everywhere, um, you know, when I was at General Electric, I was uh, leading 
um, the Women's uh, Forum for the G Women's Forum for Africa, and you know I was involved in you know the African American Forum promoting diversity also within GE. You know, so I've always been a diversity activist, and and the reason being is that you know I'm I'm diverse. My father is African American and German. My mother is French, Ivorian, and Guinean. Um, you know, my father was Christian, um, uh, turned Muslim. My mom comes from a Christian family. Uh, I've, I've had a Jewish partner. You know, I, I partly live in Bali. That's in kind of a form of Hinduism. I grew up in Africa with animism. Um, you know, so I, I've lived in 11 countries. So my experience, you know, I've and and I see all this diversity in me, and and I feel that you know it's very harmonious within me. So I know that because it is harmonious within me, it's possible to actually have harmony on the outside because you don't need to define. You know, people are always asking me, "Where are you from?" And then you know, I'm like, "Okay, it's a whole story." But where were you born? So everyone tries to simplify my experience. Uh, and say, oh, you know, I see you as African, or I see you as French, or I see you as this or as that. But why do you want to to uh, separate? You know, I've actually, for me, I feel that I, ha- I, my soul chose this embodiment of creating harmony of all of that within myself, and it's no chaos. So because I'm experiencing it in my own body, you know, it's not an intellectual concept. Uh, I know that it's possible to see it on the outside. And so, so being, you know, I'm saying that to, to say, to share that this is something that, you know, again, I chose to be born into diversity and then diversity has always been something that uh, was important for me. And it's, it was different forms when I was in school as a, you know, as a young Swadi, you know, I was always concerned about the people that no one liked. And I always like, why, you know, why do we all, you know, have to isolate certain people because they're different, whatever they're different, maybe they're more shy, maybe they're less trendy, maybe they, whatever they are, you know? And so that was, you know, as, as a, as a primary school and, you know, I've always been concerned about that. I've always been concerned about people who are different. Some, you know, when I was in college, people with a high school with mental you know, illnesses or dysfunctions, you know, uh, or trouble. Like, how do you, you know, why do we isolate people? So diversity for me is all of that. Is is not just a color. It's just is just who we are. Because we can even look similar color wise, but we're diverse. And why do would we want to create an homogenous again experience and say this is who you are because you look like that? Um, so, so diversity has always been important for me. Uh, diversity is the key of Tunchi, as I said earlier. And then, um, you know, when recently there was, there's been these old conversations, uh, again, the, the question was, how do I, you know, how do I contribute to this situation? So seeing it forced me to, to investigate where are the prejudices within myself? What are those? And even though I've been an activist for diversity forever, the fact that even this is manifesting in the world, I am an accomplice to that. And what is the part that I'm playing? And so with that, 
you know, and, and to basically have the discipline and the commitment to do the inner work, I then created the James Patterson Racial Healing and Reconciliation Circle, which is a weekly circle open to everyone. It's online and it's been going on since June. And literally, we're addressing the same topic of racial harmony from different angles. So, for example, tomorrow, uh, our guest in the circle uh, is going to, um, we're going to talk about interracial adoption and heart pregnancy. Uh, and, um, you know, last, last week, we, what did we have last week? Uh, last week, we spoke about um, hair and, you know, appearance and, and, you know, in the context of, of that. So every week we're, you know, I'm bringing new people and we're literally having the same topic from so many different angles to again, show that even this topic is not one that has two sides and two positions, because I mean, we have to be careful, the media and whatever media it is just prefabricates opinions and then we kind of jump on one you know this is white supremacy this is this this is that these ideas have already you know packaged for us and then we kind of jump on them and we absorb them but if we just think about okay what am i you know is this something that matters really to me and for me you know i'm a very committed person in the sense of of what i believe in you know and so and, and what I believe is, is, you know, how do we create a better world? That's my commitment and my personal growth, you know, that I'm really committed. So if I am committed to making the world a better place, then I probably didn't do enough work on my own prejudice because there is still racism there. And because I want to live in a world where there is harmony, what am I doing? What am I committing to do? And a lot of times, you know, uh, I have people telling me, Sweaty, all of your Saturday evenings, you're like doing these circles. Why don't you just stop them? You've done enough. And I'm like, no, I haven't done enough until there is, you know, I'll, I'll continue. I've committed to do this at least until the end of the year. And I'm going to do it every Saturday, you know, and I'm going to pass on the parties, the gatherings, the Saturday night fun to commit to this process. Because for me, it is important enough. It's not just paying lip service to, oh, it matters to me. I have two conversation. I do three Instagram posts and, you know, I feel good or I read this book is I'm committed to that. So I'm going to do the work and support the work with, um, of others who want to join in this work by creating this platform. And it is for me more important than having a nice, another nice dinner with my friends on a Saturday night. That for me is important mm -hmm. to make sure that actually we, we, we are co-creating this world. You know, I, I'd, I'd rather be doing that than sitting at dinner with my friends and chatting about how there is racism in the world. Well, what am I doing about it? You know, I mean, it's great to have a good conversation, but let me commit to actually be doing the work. And so this time, you know, I prefer to do that. And also, I haven't attended the circle. I really want to. I really will. Um, and also you create a space where hopefully it feels safe for yeah. people wherever they are on the spectrum of advancing their own anti-racism practices or anti-racism education, um, to really participate fully wherever they are. Um, I guess, yeah, can, there's so many things I want to ask about this, but what, 
I guess, questions or mm, like moments of challenge do people sometimes come with when maybe they're overwhelmed with where do I start or um, I'm hearing all these different viewpoints, but I really, I don't know where to focus my efforts to really start to unpack my own. Can you think of any questions or moments or just specific things that come to mind with people who really grapple with how do I even begin this? Well, I mean, you begin by making the first step, really. I think, you know, the ego wants to say that you should be like this. You know, I don't have a vision of me as a sweaty without prejudice and kind of in the sense of, oh, you know, you need to be a sweaty without prejudice. So then you get overwhelmed because you're like having this ideal egotistic vision of who I am. You know, I am wherever I am. I'm, you know, what matters is the journey for me and the commitment. So, you know, every week is another person, every conversation, every opportunity to bridge gaps with other people in my day-to-day life to, you know, I'm learning Indonesian, uh, you know, twice a week, um, you know, learning the culture, uh, trying to understand for me that this, uh, and everywhere I lived, I've lived in, as, as shared before, in 11 countries. I lived in Kenya. I took uh, Indonesian classes. Uh, I was once uh, engaged with a Dutchman. I took, um, you know, Dutch classes. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm committed wherever I am to bridging, you know, so these are the little practices because I always feel that in learning other people's culture, uh, you start to bridge gaps versus coming into someone's culture and, you know, kind of having this opinion. And I find the language is key because as you learn the language, you start learning the pattern of thoughts, you start creating really a more um, connection. And so for me, language has been one of, of that. Is So I'm committed to that. Um, and I'm just sharing my own practices uh, wherever I am and even, you know, I'm not full-time in Bali, but I'm, I'm here enough that it's important to do that. Uh, I've, I'm diving into Hinduism, understanding the culture, um, you know, the beliefs, uh, attending the ceremonies, sitting in the compound, living actually in, uh, you know, close to Balinese and just sitting with them and trying to understand. And, you know, it's the process. It's, it's, you know, whatever it is. And when I was in Kenya, the same. And in Nigeria, wherever I am, you know, I'm just trying to really learn what it is that I have to, to learn so I can bridge those gaps. And then, you know, the circle is the same, is that, you know, the more I attend the, the circles myself, uh, and I was sharing that actually to my mom, I said, you know, um, I really enjoy sharing this circle with other people, but I, I really enjoy it myself because every week I grow, I learn new things, I get into the uh, the experience of someone else, you know, and and understanding, and also discovering part the parts of me that are contributing to this situation. Mm-hmm. Because it's not because I'm, I have a black skin that I'm not contributing to this situation. And by the way, in my DNA, you know, I'm part white. So I carry both. And I think we also have to see that we're all carrying everything. People just think that because you look a certain way, this is who you are. But the DNA is another. The DNA is the one really carrying you know, the experiences. And so my DNA carries all kinds of oppressed and oppressor. And so I'm part of the problem, but I'm also part of the solution because I carry all that in me. Mm -hmm. 
And so I, I would say it depends what you're passionate about, you know. I mean, as you started the conversation uh, and you've seen on my website, you know, I was born with change makers. That's, that's what I'm passionate about. I, I want to contribute to the best of my ability. And, and for me, uh, all these things matter. And so I would, I would choose these things anytime over other things but that's my own experience this is where i contribute people contribute differently elsewhere so i would say people just have to start where they are uh, not having a romanticized version of who they should be uh, and then the one question is um is a question of commitment you know it's not the question of uh, am i going to be this ideal non-judgmental non-prejudiced person um, the question is more, am, am I committed to the process of growing into whatever it is, growing into love? Because at the end of the day, it's all about love, really. Love is where we come from. Love is where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think it's what are we committed? Um, you know, what are, what are we committed in our lives? What are our commitments? You know, there's so many things that we, we, we could do. Uh, there's so many, um, you know, there's so much, uh, you know, brokenness that we all carry. Uh, so I think it's one thing also, you know, to be also um, careful of what I called, you know, the trendy concern. You know, you just have to sit down and look at society around and like, what is it that matters to you? So for me, diversity, racism, all of these things, of course, have always mattered to me because that's my in family's history, but there are other things that matter to me, you know, and, and that's what I remain uh, faithful to. And maybe as I meet new people who share, you know, their experiences, I'm like, wow, you know, for example, you know, I, uh, I had the opportunity to meet someone actually from China who was telling me about the Falun Gong and all. And so I became really interested, like, wow, okay, let me know more about these experiences. And I ended up having one of my colleagues actually who experienced that. And then just really than educating myself. So it's not necessarily the things that are directly impacting my own experience because I'm my brother's keeper. Your experience is my experience, whatever your experience is. And if this is affecting you, I want to learn about it because you're my sister or my brother. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's fully showing up. And actually what came to my mind just now was, um, the word Ubuntu, Right? It means I am because you are. We are. We are. I am because I am we are. because we are. <laughs> I did my homework. I didn't know any of these words before, but I thought I should just understand a little bit. And what I hear from you is this, yeah, you're, this deep curiosity and this deep sense of awe that is so, I don't know, I'm using different words here, but really makes me think of the inner child in all of us that came into the world pure, that came into the world just curious about where am I and how am I going to move through this, this experience? And um, actually that segues really beautifully into Loving Kindness Boma, um, which is a collection of bedtime stories that you created to help children and their families learn about these topics that we've been talking about, mindfulness, consciousness, um, self-knowledge. And because the impact question was very inspiring before with the Azwara, I'd love to hear 
what impact do you see these stories having on the communities, on the children that you are reading to, that you are gathering around um, in story time? And what do you see happening in those spaces? Well, I mean, I've been writing, funny enough, I've been writing children's books since I was a child myself. So I was already writing for children as a child. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I really started writing stories when I was three. I completed my first, uh, wrote and illustrated my first book when I was six years old. Uh, And then I just kept on writing, um, but never published because it was just not the right time. And it's like everything, you know, everything is already part of you. So it's just different parts of yourself expressing themselves at different moments of your life. So uh, when was the moment to um, where I had the opportunity, I guess, or it was just the right moment to start sharing more uh, of the stories then, you know, or just having that space, you know, more stories came through and I constantly have stories and I want to write more of them. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's, again, you know, it doesn't come from like a, a mind process. So I never write these stories to impact the world or so and so, you know, I don't have that mind process. The stories existed. I raised my hands. I'm like, okay, I'm happy to write you. You know, the story is like, I'm the story, you know, this is the story. And then I'm like, okay, you're a cool story. Uh, okay. I, you know, I raised my hand. Can I, can I, can I write you? <laughs> and then the story is like, oh, let me check you out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe you're not going to do uh, too bad of a job. So, you know, so that's basically what I do. And then and the stories have a life on their own. It's been just uh, the most uh, magical experience to each time to read it to children because they read and understand and see so much beyond the words. And I just love it, you know? Uh, I'm like, wow, okay. Clearly, this story, I'm, and then I'm chatting to the story, like, you had secrets, you didn't tell me everything. <laughs> you just told me some stuff I wrote, but you had other stuff, because these kids are clearly seeing something I'm not seeing, and I didn't see. So, so I get also to discover my, you know, I call them my stories, but they're not my stories. So these stories that you know, I'm sharing, I get to rediscover them through every child and I get to learn so much. And so it's that kind of exchange process where, you know, I I share the story and together, and this is why my platform is called the Loving Kindness Boma. The Boma is a place of storytelling in Africa where we all sit together and we exchange. So it's really an exchange between me, the illustrators, the story, you know, the, the, the readers, the parents and all and all together, we're kind of sitting around and like, okay, let's share the story. So I may voice it, but actually everyone has the piece of the story. And that's a beautiful process. Uh, let's see where, where, you know, where they go. But um, I think everyone so far enjoys the process, me writing it, the illustrators illustrating it. Um, you know, the editors, the people who do the spell checks and, <laughs> you know, everyone who's, who's contributing. So it's really a nice way to commune around something beautiful. Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's it just seems like something very tribal. I don't know. I felt like, ah, right. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. 
what background you have. Everyone can sit around a circle and listen to a story and share a story. And in what you were sharing, I also, again, felt the theme of diversity come up. Absolutely. I mean, like one of the stories uh, that um, one of my stories that's being illustrated at the moment, the illustrator is Indian. As a matter of fact, my illustrators come from all over. I had a Polish illustrator, Kenyan, South African. So right now uh, on one of my books, the illustrator is Indian. And uh, I told him, actually, I said, well, for the parents of the character, uh, well, since you're, you know, I was just thinking, well, you know, my illustrator is Indian and I love India. And I was, okay, the, the mother of the character has to be Indian. So I said, you know, can you draw an Indian person? Uh, and yeah, so, so, you know, all of the characters in my books have diverse parents. So you know, and diverse friends and diverse teachers and diverse everything um, because the world, again, is diverse. So that's really something I want to, to push. And, and for people to see the harmony in, in diversity even within, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. a true melting pot. And yeah. whenever you say diversity, I just think, too, being in Bali especially yeah. where you're surrounded by nature, and we're so privileged to experience this abundance. But, you know, nature teaches us that healthy ecosystems are existing because of diversity, biodiversity, down, down to the smallest microorganism yes. and up to the biggest animal or, Absolutely. you know, all the elements as well included. And so I guess to segue into being in Bali... Um, you were here when coronavirus happened. Mm -hmm. You could have been in so many different parts of the world, all 11 countries that you already shared that you've lived in. So I'd love to invite you in this moment to tell us what has living in Bali um, during this time helped you do or learn or evolve in the sense of building more inner work activism within yourself um, within your community, within the environment, maybe like you can express it like a love letter to Bali yeah. and, and, and how has being here really fostered your growth? Dear beautiful Bali, thank you so, so much for allowing me to be here to experience uh, the beauty of your landscape of your people and of all the people that you brought here, to experience the beauty and diversity and soulfulness of your spirit. Thank you for nourishing me with abundant food, tropical, well, for uh, keeping me healthy, for inspiring me and giving me the space and time to create, to be, to love, to share, to laugh, to dance, to be. I hope that um, I can honor you and I strive to honor you more and more every day in gratitude of everything you've given to me with so much selflessness. I'm grateful to be here, and in me being here is me being everywhere. Um, you know, 
yeah, I just feel this connection with all the world just being here. And um, I also feel it's a privilege and I don't take it for granted. And I'm grateful to God for everything, for the blessings. And yeah, I just carry it in my heart for everyone. Um, so everyone can feel and benefit from this experience that has been given to me. So I thank you, Mama Bali, Papa Bali, Sister Bali, Brother Bali, Auntie Bali, Uncle Bali. Um, I'm grateful and I just pray that, um, yeah, we get to honor and love you more and more each day. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Swati. That was really mm. <laughs> Thank you. Ooh. Yeah. I almost felt like Bali was talking in your words. And there is this sense of magic being here that can be very hard to put into words. Um, but I think your words really helped do some justice to that and really honor what this land and the culture and the people and the beauty really, yeah, and so generously provide. Mm -hmm. And to close out this conversation, I would love to hear um, if you have one, I know it's hard to just pick one, but one final message or question even to leave our audience with so they can reflect on, you know, something that you would like to really share here beyond this conversation. Well, my message is always I am because we are. My gift is your gift, and your gift is my gift. Thank you. Thank you so much, Swati. Bless you. Bless everyone. Bless you. Bless you. It was a real honor to have you here, and just thank you so much for just the person that you are, but also the, the important work that you are doing to help people really embody their own diversity. And therefore, the diversity that we're so honored to have in this world. So, yeah, it's really. a privilege. Diversity is a privilege. Diversity is a privilege. Diversity is a privilege. It is a privilege. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you so much. Um, and we will definitely be sure to include Swati's information in the show notes. So, Thank you. Thank you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> the Alt Normal. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please show us the love. You can subscribe, share, or leave a review. We'd be so grateful to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much.